0: This is what came out of our intercessory group this morning uh, because not only were we praying for the needs of you and the needs of the church and the needs of the community and the needs of the culture, not only we were going to war this morning, we were actually listening to what God was saying to us and then we were vocalizing what God was saying to us. The big fancy word for that, that's called prophetic. When God speaks directly to you about specific situations, this is the prophetic voice of God encouraging the church. And so this was one of them. Psalms 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. Most of us could probably say amen to that. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? You ever feel like that? Like you're praying to God and you're getting crickets? It's not true, it's just our perception. Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Are you in a dark place? Are you in confusion? Are you in a constant pain? This is the prayer that you need to say. Send forth your light and your truth. We are children of light. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. This is the part I love. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to place, the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. What was that song that you sung this morning? What is it? I'll come to the altar. I'll come to the altar. There is this connection. There's this need. Like the author saying I'm not doing so good I'm hurting kinda bad right now I don't hear your voice call for the light call for the truth physically move your body get yourself up the hill I don't know what that means we could just say it's figuratively or we could say it's a metaphor what do you need to do to move yourself out of that, that rhythm that you're in that you know this is not healthy Come to the light. Go up to the top of the mountain. And what do you have to do? You need to go to the altar. The altar. What happens on altars? Things die. <laughs> it gets bloody. Things die on the altar. And I don't know. When things die, does it feel good? Not necessarily, no. No. When your old self dies, does that feel good? It does. It certainly does. We'll flesh that out in a minute. Then I will go to the altar of God. My feet will be moving. I will be intentional to my God. You ready for this? My joy and my delight I thought God was mean and cranky and ugly and telling you what to do and making you follow rules. No, that's a, that's a false perception. This is the true perception that God is our joy and he is our delight. I want to challenge you today. Go up the mountain with the attitude that God is your joy and he is your delight. And I will praise him with the harp, oh my God. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? You have permission to ask yourself this question today. You can talk to yourself. You can be a little schizophrenic at the moment. Why, Josh, are you so downcast? Put it in modern language. Josh, why are you depressed today? What, 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 why, why are you depressed? You can talk to yourself. It's okay. It's biblical. You can talk to yourself. No one's going to put you up in a loony bin. Talk to yourself. Why? Get outside of yourself. This is, what, this is what prayer's about at times. You need to get outside of your own circumstance. You need to see things from God's perspective, and you need to see yourself from God's perspective. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. This isn't right because this isn't true because God is my joy. He is my hope. There's a million different promises in the book that I can align myself with. So why, 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 why are you depressed? This is not true. What's true is God's goodness. Why so disturbed within me? Stop it. Give yourself a slap in the face. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God my Savior, and my God. So as we prepare today, as we begin to get into the message, I think I've got about three for you today, three sermons today. Uh, prepare your heart. What does it mean for you to go to the altar today? I mean, you know, you're not going to sacrifice your animals at home. That's not going to happen. But what does it mean for you to go to the altar? What needs to die in your life? What is left still alive that is still hurting you? And right, we're going to talk about new beginnings. Um, shifting into the message today. New beginnings. In the beginning, God created what? He created the heavens and the earth. Um, there's two ways to look at it. God created the planet, and then he created the stars and everything. That's one way to look at it. It's, it's, you could say it's accurate, but I believe that the, the biblical way to look at it is that God created the material world, he created the, the earth, and he, then he created the heavens, because when the Bible talks about the heavens, and when Jesus talks about the heavens, he's not talking about Jupiter. He's, he's not talking about, you know intergalactic space travel he's talking about another reality that is not tangible and is we can't see it yet we know that it's there we know that it's real do you know that the spiritual world is real you can't see it you can't taste it we get to experience it breaking through occasionally in our lives you know, your atheist neighbor will deny it, but you know that it's true. That's why you're sitting in church this morning when you could be on your couch or something. Now, there's something inside of you knows that knows that, that there's something about heaven that, that's real. And it could even be more real than what we're experiencing now. So God created the heavens and the earth. He created the, the real world and then the unseen world. And it is his desire that the two become one and they become, to, they become to mesh together. And there's a revelation to this heaven that God wants us to, to get into our heads. How did God reveal heaven to you? Again, you're your, either you got drug in here for some reason or you're curious about God or you want a better life, which is fine. You want something more. What drew you in initially to faith? Was it a preacher? Did you pick up your Bible? Did you read it? Was it a miracle? There's, there's two types of revelations that philosophers like to talk about. There's, there's a special revelation. So when I'm reading the word of God, there's a, it's a special revelation. These are divinely spoken, written words that, that, that permeate off the page. And it reveals the nature and the character of God to me. When we worship, I hope you get this. There's a difference between being entertained and worshiping. Right? You know the difference? When you worship, you're in the band. When you're entertained, you're in the audience just receiving. So some of us, you received, and it should. You should be able to receive and give at the same time but technically you are in the band. You're you're worshiping God. It is for his pleasure that you're singing. You're entertaining God. Isn't that cool to think about? He takes pleasure in our worship. So we can have a revelation of God and spirituality through things like this. Through miracles. Yeah, we're that church in this town. We believe in divine miracles. Healing, prophecy, prophecy. Speaking in other tongues, divine appointments, signs and wonders. And we've seen a number of them. I got one this week. So, a gal in our church went through a very difficult time, uh, an experience that would probably break most of us. And yet, God met her in her room in the middle of the night was an experience as if the finger of God itself came in, came into her room, came into her body, and actually grabbed her heart. And she felt this electricity, this intensity of love, as if God, the creator of the universe himself, was massaging her heart with love and compassion. And her body freezes up because she can't move. Those types of experiences don't happen to everybody. I've never had that experience, but it's on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marina's had, Marina's had this experience too, and she would love to share her testimony where God she just couldn't move for how many days? Two weeks. Two weeks. How does? It <laughs> I can move it just like yeah, she couldn't drive. She couldn't drive. <laughs> Special revelation, and then. This is cool, too, because this applies to your neighbor. There's something called general revelation, which means that there is no necessary electricity. There's no Bible thumper trying to convince you of something. Um, There's this thing called the universe and creation and nature that bears testimony to the goodness in the existence of God. And there's been many of atheists that's wandered out in the woods and messed around and got saved. And they have no idea how that happened. The rocks cried out. Amen. Yeah. The rocks cried out. And so we're going to be hitting uh, creation. This is a theme of creation this this month. And there's a couple of reasons why. It's because I'm curious about this kind of stuff. I probably spend way too much time on it. Um, But culturally, it's important. You have the holidays that are coming up soon, Right? And you're going to have to sit next to Uncle Bob, who's an atheist. And, you know, he might make fun of you for believing what you believe. And there seems to be a lot of fodder right now that comes against the church for the purposes of humiliation and degradation and to make us look ignorant, right? Do you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. It just... It just is. And so I'm going to give you some practical purposes. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you, I don't know how much time do I have. I've got a little bit of time. I'm going to give you like a five-minute apologist training course because the souls of your friends are extremely important to God and I know that they're important to you too. I know you want your friends and your family members to know the love that you have in Christ, but God wants them to know it more than you do. And so let me just give you a couple of little tools, because I know you're going to be facing some hard times coming up in the seasons where you have to hang out with people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with. So one of the things that comes up against the church and against Christianity is the the science and faith, do they collide or do they complement each other? Is there a contradiction? And what's coming up, I believe it's this week, if not this week, it's next week. There's a movie coming out and it's, it's nationwide. It's gonna be a big deal. Uh, it's called uh, Genesis. And I forgot the, the tagline to it, but it's a, it's a Genesis movie. And it talks about you know creation versus evolution, which we should all understand those arguments. Um, but in this camp, Of biblical views of creation there's three camps but the culture is only aware of one the culture is only aware of the camp that says creation is only well the planet is only 6,000 years old because they've taken the Bible literally which is a good thing to do by the way I do it myself and then they ran the numbers and they came up with a set date actually people in the creation camp they can't even determine what the actual date is some say it's 6000 years old some say it's 5000 years old some say it's somewhere in between no one they can't figure it they can't come to an agreement on the, the precise date of how old the earth is just so you know and your friends and your neighbors that uh, don't like the church, they're going to use this one against you, because they'll say that's ridiculous, because the planet is uh, six billion years old, as science tells us, and you're telling me that the word of God, the Bible says it's only 6,000 years old? That's ridiculous, All right. so that's one camp, that movie's coming out, I want to make you aware of it, because your friends and your neighbors will probably make fun of it. So, camp number 1 is is the creation camp. We call them the young earth creationists. They believe in a young earth creation. Camp number 2 is old earth creation, meaning that okay, get your bibles out. Well, let's take a look at the, the main arguments and hopefully we can move on to what I think God really wants to say to us today. Genesis chapter 1. Mm-mm-mm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was uh, formless, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And light, uh, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. In the darkness, he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning, excuse me, on the first day. Day, day number one, evening and morning, God created it, we actually have a representation of Trinitarian doctrine all right here in the very beginning, we have God the Father, we have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and then we have the spoken word of creation, and Jesus is the word, so we have Trinity, and it's amazing, Trinity in the first few verses, it's cool. but day one he creates light and dark and here's the argument and my purpose for highlighting this to you is to actually give you tools but not to give you something to argue about (laughs) (laughs) because arguing is not going to get anybody anywhere so here's the tool young earth creationists will say that day one was a 24-hour period Old earth creationists, like myself, will say, how could that possibly be? Because God doesn't create the sun and the moon. There's nothing to measure time until the fourth day. So how long do we know that this day actually is? And the literalists will say, a day is a day. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for day here is called Yom, and Yom is, has is a number of different meanings for the word Yom. Yom could mean an actual 24-hour period, or it could mean an entire decade. It's like, you know, in the day of, I don't know, let's pick somebody famous. In the day of Abraham Lincoln, right? Was Abraham Lincoln's day, was it a 24 hour period? No, he had an entire career, that was the day of Lincoln. And so this is the interpretation of this biblical passage, all right? So, seven days, were they seven literal days? Young earth creationists will say yes. If you have that opinion, that's great. Uh, No problem there. Again, we need to be able to get along and have differences and be able to flesh out what's true. So that's one view. The other one is old earth creationists. It's like, all right, so maybe a day is actually a million years. Yeah? Um, Maybe a yom isn't meant to be taken literally as a 24-hour period of time maybe, okay, God's word is divinely inspired. It is truth 100%. Um, so what parts do we take literal and what parts do we take non-literal, right? So when Jesus says that he is a door, are we supposed to take that literal? <laughs> or figuratively? All right. so this is what we're talking about. And so the old earth guys... They're healthy. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking about this. They're actually delving into the Word of God. They've done a lot of good work. And so uh, answers, for, uh, answers for Genesis is one organization that you could look up if you're interested in Young Earth. Reasons to Believe. Uh, they do, they've done a lot of incredible work on old Earth creationism. And if you want to push it even a little bit further, the final and more radical camp is theistic evolutionists. They're the ones that believe that God created the the, the, the whole process. He divinely sparked everything. And that there is such a thing as biological evolution, and that's just how God did it. And here we are. So they would like Charles Darwin. So these are the three camps. Here's the interesting thing about all three camps they all love Jesus and they all love the Word of God and they're trying really hard to get along with one another and for the most part they're doing a decent job. So my point for you today the beginning take home if you are discussing issues of faith and you come up against a roadblock with somebody that says, I can't believe in the Bible because it doesn't align with science, I'm giving you permission to say there's other ways to think about it. And here are some different options. Would you rather your neighbor come to the Lord through an open door or would you rather than be pushed off by fighting an argument that doesn't really matter? Does that make sense? So don't get so entrenched in what you believe. The most influential christian leader of our um, century everybody knows who he is chances are we wouldn't be in this building if it wasn't for the work that he has done you're probably saved because of him if you are a kid and you got saved as a a kid it's probably because of him everybody knows who c.s lewis is right Lion witch in the wardrobe? Mere Christianity? Most influential thinker of our, of our century. Loved Jesus Re- with ridiculous amounts of passion, right? He was a theistic evolutionist. Is he right? I don't know. Probably not, and I don't care. <laughs> Does that make sense? So if you want to know where I line, I'm like right down the middle. Right? I just That's where I'm at personally. Again, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that people know the love of Jesus. And then they need to know that you represent Jesus. So what does that look like? All right, let's shift gears into message number two. I've got five minutes. Romans Chapter 1, verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is an example of general revelation. No one has excuse for not knowing the love of God. You can see it through nature itself. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He also put eternity in their hearts. I love this. Except that no one can find out the work that God has done from beginning to end. This is so cool. God has placed eternity in our hearts. I think we're the only creature on the planet that can do this, that we can actually think in infinite ways, or at least attempt to. Eternity is in your heart, it's a natural evidence of who you are being created in God's image because God is eternal. You are made in his image, therefore, you are eternal. But you can't figure him out. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point right there. But there's nothing wrong with trying. Corinthians. We're talking about new beginnings here. Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. And the old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And this is what we're going to branch off here. Isaiah 43. This is the one I want you to turn to, underline, mark up. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing, what? A new thing. Now it springs forth. And here's the parts you need to underline, highlight, and circle. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers and in the deserts. So, God is doing a new thing. You are a new creation. Romans 6 talks about uh, the same concept. You are, you are new. You have been created. Did you know that you died? Mm, Yeah, you did die. Maybe you haven't figured it out yet. It's not like you will die someday. No, you're dead. If you've stepped across this line of faith, quite possibly, maybe even if you haven't, you died on the cross with Jesus. This is what Romans 6 tells us. It says that we have been crucified with Christ, and our old nature has died on that cross. That's nuts. That's nuts. So my old self died 2,000 years ago before I began my sinful life. That's how much perception God has. So I am a new creation. So what's my problem then? Why do I keep on doing old things? I am a new creation. You need to repeat this after me. I'm going to walk in the newness of life. Say, I'm going to walk in the newness of life. So if I'm a new creation, why do I keep on doing bad things? When I first got married, you know, we started to cohabitate together. It's hard, it's complicated to figure out stuff, right? And I had this shirt, this old Oxford shirt that I've had since high school, and I wore it all the time and I loved that shirt. It had like the tag on the back, remember that? Remember those, those Oxford shirts that had the tag on the back and then they buttoned right here on the, on the corners of the, the shirt, it's a cool shirt. I wore that thing out and I loved that shirt and it felt good on me and the collar was frayed and it had moth holes in it and it had a bleach stain on it. I didn't care, I still wore the shirt. And then one day I came home, I'm like, honey, where's my shirt? She's like, oh, I threw that away. Wait, like, what? No, I threw that away. Why, why did you, that's my favorite shirt. Why did you throw this, my shirt away? It's because it was old. I bought you a new one. I don't want the new shirt. I want the old shirt. And what did I do? I actually rummaged around <laughs> in the garbage and I, I dug that shirt out of the garbage. Because it, and she threw it away again, right? But I loved it because it felt comfortable. It, even though it was frayed. I mean, the whole collar, all the way around, was frayed. But this is what we're like. We feel comfortable in our old nature because it feels good for some reason. But God has something new for you, and he wants you to put on the new shirt. And we keep reverting back to our old self, our dead self, our self self that should be in the ground, but we keep on digging up corpses. No, he wants something new. You okay, think about this illustration instead. Let's say you've been driving around a beater car. It's broke down, it's fallen apart, you know, you're always getting stuck somewhere, you're always asking somebody for a jump, and it, it, it's just, you, you know, it's just an old beater car. And then one day, Aunt Matilda gives you a call and she says, I'm buying you a new car, I can't bear to see you drive that thing around anymore. And she hands you the keys to a brand new car. What do you do? You take it, right? You take it and you get rid of the old car. You see, that should be the mentality that we have instead of dicking up the old shirt and putting it on. No, we, we have a brand new car that we get to drive, that we get to take pleasure in, that we didn't earn. Aunt Matilda gave it to us without any strings attached. You don't even have to go over to her house for tea. And this is what God gets to do with us. He's saying I have a brand new life waiting for you. And you keep on dragging out your old shirt, you keep on wanting to drive your old car. You keep on reminiscing about how good the good old days were. Guess weren't they weren't that good. The good old days are tomorrow. Right? The, good, the, the best is yet to come. The good old days are going to be tomorrow. I am doing a new thing, the Lord says. Do you not perceive it? So let's talk about what does it mean to perceive what God is doing? What is he doing? Can you see him moving? Can you see him acting? Are you too busy digging around in the trash? No, he's he's asking us to perceive what God is doing. This is why your prayer life is going to be so critical in the next stage of your life. Because if your prayer life is not amped up, if you don't transition your prayer life from grumbling and complaining and whining to God, well, you're just not, you're going to stay in your old self. Because all you're doing is you're just focusing on your old self and your old problems and your old habits and your old hang-ups. But if you amp up your prayer life where you can actually pray with Jesus for you, you're praying from the perspective of heaven instead of the perspective of your problems on Earth, and he takes on a new perception. Can you perceive what God is doing in your life? He is doing a new thing in your life, and now he's asking you to perceive it, to see it, to have vision for it. What's he doing? Do you know? Have you even bothered asking lately? God, what are you doing in my life? What new thing are you creating inside of me? What should I be paying attention to? Can you perceive it? So how do you perceive what God is doing? I have a a million different things I could share with you. One, are you being stretched and are you being challenged? You cannot perceive what God is doing unless you are being challenged to do something that you can't do with your own will and your own abilities. When God does something new in your life, guess what? It's hard. It's difficult. It's a challenge. No, he, quite possibly, God will put giants in your life for you to overcome. Amen. Thank you. That's the right perception. Amen. I have a big problem. Ooh, things flying around the place. I have a big problem. Oh, Joy. What does James say, the book of James? You consider it all joy, you count it all joy whenever you're faced with trials and tribulations and problems and anxieties and stuff. No, you're supposed to say, oh joy, I have to pay my taxes again. Why do you have to pay your taxes again? Because it's gonna make you a better person if you do it right. He is calling us into higher levels of existence, higher levels of character, higher levels of of spirituality, and it requires you to be challenged and strengthened, but not depressed, but not overcome, but not perplexed, right, as the word of God says. So don't allow your problems and your difficulties, no matter how hard it is, if it's financial, if it's relational, if it's marriage, if it's kids, if it's illness, if it's sick, Like, don't let that stuff get under your skin. It's a challenge that God wants to walk you through, and you're going to come out on the other side victorious if you change your perception of what is going on. All right, here's another thing if you're perceiving right or wrong. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges, do you feel God's love? Do you feel loved? Well, if God really loved me, then he wouldn't let this bad thing happen to me. That ain't true. God loves you despite your circumstances and the hardships. Maybe he can't necessarily help the mess that you're in, but he can definitely love you through that situation. And that is probably the most important perceptions that we can have is that God loves me despite my circumstances and even despite what I've done. So the evil that you're facing, that evil did not come from the Lord. You need to get that into your head. You need to have that perception in your mind. John, 1 John 4, 18, this is, there is no fear in love. So when you face your challenges, don't be fearful, be in love. Don't be in fear, be in love. But perfect love, it casts out all fear. Fear has to do with what? Fear has to do with punishment. God's not here to punish you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to mature you, grow you up, make you into a righteous person, which is... Another way of saying he's here to make you into the best version of you that you could possibly be. God's uh, perception, God's vision. How do you know if you've got the right perception? Here's the here's the tricky one for all of, for even a, a seasoned saints. It could be hard. It could be challenging. It might require really soaking in prayer to get the right answer, whatever. Petitioning God. But God's vision is never confusing. Okay, you need to get this. What God's perception of you is, he's not confused about you. And he's not even confused about your future. And when he pushes you, or when he draws you, or when he entices you into his pleasure, like he's, his, his motives are not confused. When he gives you a revelation, whether it's a special revelation, a general revelation, whether he comes in and rocks your world or whatever, look, there's never confusion when God touches you. Like You will be at your clearest when the finger of God touches you. So if you're dealing with high levels of confusion, confusion is not from the Lord, right? This guy says, whenever somebody gets con- Pastor Larry, my dad, whenever somebody gets confused about the next direction that they should take and they don't know what they should do, they, they, have an, they, have a, they can't pull the trigger... The right response is, well, if you don't know what to do, if you're confused, then you need to go back to the last thing that God told you to do that you had peace about, all right? So quit trying to dig the shirt out of the trash because that's confusion. What was the last thing God called you to do? Be faithful to that vision until he gives you a fresh one and you won't be confused, but you will be challenged. And God's perception is always good. He's not going to make you do something evil. He's not going to make you do something sinful. I can't believe it. It is mind-boggling. How long have I been doing this job? 16 years. It is mind-boggling how many people think that it is God's will for them to sin. mind-boggling, and then they justify it. Crazy. Get the book and read it, right? Seriously, get the book and read it. Quit trying to justify stuff. What God will call you to do is good, and it never contradicts the word of God. It never contradicts his nature. He won't make you do anything mean or nasty. It's not in his nature to do that. My last major idea, when God says, okay, I'm doing something new. Can you perceive it? Here's the thing. How do you perceive yourself? You need to change the optics of your own self. Because if you're new, you should have a new perspective of yourself and of your future. So how do you perceive yourself? Here's one way how you can test how you perceive yourself. What does your self-talk look like during the week? Remember I said that it's okay for you to talk to yourselves? Oh, why are you disquieted? Oh, my soul. Why are you so disturbed? You're more than free and willing. It's biblical. You can talk to yourselves. But sometimes we talk to ourselves, and it's not good. Oh, Josh, you're a big idiot. All right? You are a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. You can never do anything right. You're always going to fail in this case. You're never going to have the breakthrough. You're never... So we begin to think these ways. And this thought pattern is not from God. It is not the mind of Christ. And so when you begin to develop a new perception of yourself, God is doing a new thing in you. Can you perceive it? You need to perceive yourself as living, as alive, as new And the the dead is dead, and it's on the cross, and it's in the grave. It's nailed there. It's not coming back. And when it does, what do you do when the corpse comes back? What do you do when the shirt comes out of the garbage? What do you do when you, for some dumb reason, you want to drive the beater car instead of the nice brand-new car? You quit talking to your old self. Those voices are not from God. They're either from you and your old dead self, Or they're from the devil. So anything that does not bring you hope, does not bring you joy, does not give you victory, does not give you breakthrough. Anything that does not say, I am free in Christ. I'm developing the mind of Christ. Uh, God has good things planned for my future. Anything that contradicts that is not from God. He is here to prosper you and not shame you. He is here to give you his righteousness and get rid of your righteousness. He's making a new thing. And my challenge to you this week is, how am I perceiving myself? All right, let me get the band to come to the front. And have you forgot about the altar yet? Have you forgot about the altar? Remember when you got saved? It takes a lot of hard work on the front end to step into freedom, right? You go through pain, you go through trials, or maybe you're captivated by nature, maybe you have an experience with God, but that journey has taken a long time to get there at times for some of us. It takes a lot of hard work to get set free, but it also takes a lot of work to be and remain free. And this is the state that we are in right now. He wants us to remain free. That's only going to happen by the renewing of our minds. I need to pray. All right, read Romans 6. Would you stand with me? God, right now, we thank you so much for the work that you've done on the cross. We thank you so much that you nailed our old dead self on that cross 2,000 years ago. And God, I pray right now that we will just begin just to walk in the fullness of life. You said that I have come to this material planet so that you may have life and that you may have life to the full. So God, right now, may we just tap into that life and living it to the full. Father, I pray you give us courage to go to the altar and to, con- just, to kill off those old habits, those old shirts, those old cars, those old, that old nature, God, God, we give you all of ourselves today. Pray that you just continue to do the redemptive work. That we don't have to necessarily work on ourselves, but we have to just become the person that you've called us to be. Thank you so much for that freedom. If you want Jesus in your heart, in your life, if you want to become that new creation, I want to encourage you to go to the altar of God today. You can do that by coming up here and somebody will pray for you. If you're shy, you can go in the back and our elders and our prayer partners, they'll they'll join with you in prayer. If you need a finger of God encounter in your life, there's nothing wrong with asking for that. Pray that you ask for that. Again, we're these churches that believe in the special revelation of the healed body. So if you have a physical ailment, you can be healed of that today. Be bold. Be courageous. See it from God's perspective today. He wants to heal you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to bring you newness of life today. In your name, amen.